Welcome back to Women's Profile. Our special guest for today is uh, Kirsten uh, Fogg, uh, who will be known as Kiki throughout our interview. Welcome to the program, Kirsten. Is that the correct pronunciation? It's very, very close, Kirsten, but uh, that's why I use Kiki. It's a lot easier for many people. So basically explain what do you do in your work? Well, I am the pop-up story catcher, and I'm also the writer out of residence. Now, uh, those are just fancy words for saying I'm a writer and a listener, and I'm part of this month's Anywhere Festival, which is theatre and art all over Brisbane, and I'm catching and listening to people's stories of belonging and not belonging. So tell us, where is this Anywhere Festival uh, being held? It's been held anywhere. Oh, it's all okay. over Brisbane. <laughs> so the idea is to take theatre and art and put it in unusual places. So theatre and art galleries. I've been at the State Library. I've been at BMAC. I've been at St. Vincent's Hospital. And I've been at Bean Cafe in the city listening to people's stories. So basically explain what a pop-up story catcher is. Well, what I do, um, I've been researching and writing about belonging for several years now, and um, it became a way for me to meet with people and listen to people's stories who I wouldn't normally get to meet. Um, So lots of people have shared their stories with me. I listen to them. They talk to me for five minutes, ten minutes. Some people talk for half an hour or 40 minutes. Some people haven't been listened to in a long, long time. And then I take their stories and um, I write them down. Some of them will go on my website. Some of them I'm turning into art for the Anywhere Festival. And I take a sentence like, music is my mother tongue. Um, And I write it or use calligraphy, modern calligraphy, and put it um, on a recycled core flute. That's then I spray with different bright colored graffiti paints and they're hanging all outside bean cafe so the idea is i'm taking words and turning them into art i want people to be more interested in words but also by talking with people who i wouldn't normally get a chance to talk to i want to give a voice to those who are voiceless i want to include the marginalized and i want to um help people to see people as individuals not as a group So what sort of stories do the people share with you? They've shared everything, Maureen. I'm actually been, I've been very surprised at how they trust me, and I'm honoured that they speak so openly to me. Mm. I guess there's a couple of things that really surprised me that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting people to share really happy stories and love stories between mothers and children, and, and that did happen. But what I also heard a lot of were stories of sexual abuse, women being abused, women being raped, young children women who would talk to me who were still young women who told me stories of being abused when they were younger and then also horrible stories of racism and these these themes come up again and again and again um and i've talked to so many different people um i've talked to people who live on the streets i talk to people who um have been through the concentration camps in germany I've talked with people who are refugees or former refugees, um, people who are adopted, serial migrants with like me, um, mm. Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, and First Nations people in, in Canada. So is there a great need for people to belong, as you say? There's a huge need. It's one of our fundamas- fundamental basic needs. We need to belong. Um, 
studies have shown recently, and there's lots of work going on about this now, that people who have a deep sense of belonging actually perform better on tests. They're smarter, they're healthier, and they're in general happier. And if you look at today's society, um, a third of people in Western societies, that's Australia, the UK, Canada, US, a third of us feel isolated or alone. Now, that's a big problem, and we can really improve society if we just do simple things like smile and say hi to the guy that gives us our coffee in the morning. That creates a sense of belonging. So you're a former journalist, and uh, what made you change your mind to switch jobs or...? Uh, what made me change oh, my mind? Well, what happened? Journalist. You're still writing, aren't you? I'm still writing, um, but I don't tend to do a journalistic work. I worked as a journalist for a long time in um, Canada, France, uh, the UK, and Australia, and I was a foreign course, for, freelance foreign, foreign correspondent here. But what happened was that I, um, I got pregnant with my first child. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to do something different. And also, at the same time, uh, journalism was its really quite negative. It's always the, the negative stories that get the press, and I didn't want to do that. And when I was interviewing people for the stories I was supposed to be covering, I was often more interested in the people. So when my, my babies were little, um, I took the opportunity to explore different venues, and I came up with creative nonfiction. So I tend to focus now on short pieces. They're called personal essays. And um, they're like, they're true stories that are really fun to read. That brings me to ask, what was the award you won? Was that based on your essay? Yes, that's an essay I, um, I submitted last year to a competition in Canada. It's called Nanotechnology, and it's an essay about attending my Nana's funeral via Skype... And um, at the same time, we go back in time and we learn about what it was like for me to live in different countries, but also we learn about what happened to my younger brother many, many years ago. Um, now, that essay, in a couple of days I'm flying down to Sydney and I'll be narrating that essay for ABC Radio Tonic. Is that where you won the... Um so what do you mean you're going to read at the ABC? You want to explain a little bit Yes, yes. Uh, Radio Tonic takes essays, they take um, non-fiction pieces, and they turn them into a type of radio drama. So um, what I'll be doing is I'll be narrating this piece, I'll be speaking my part, and then other people, um, my family, will be talking their parts, and the radio producers add, add sound and um, different um, things to bring it alive on radio so you'll be able to actually experience the entire thing. So you can come with me to Paris and then you come with me to London and then Australia. That's great. So what is your heritage? Um, my heritage, well, I'm Canadian. I don't know if anyone can tell anymore from my accent. It's so mixed up. You speak French as well, don't you? Oui, bien sûr que je parle français. You're talking to our uh, Natalie Garriard previously as well. Yes, yes. Um, no, but my French, um, I had to learn French when I was in Canada growing up, but I spent uh, several years living in, in Paris and Bordeaux, so that's where most of my French comes from. But my heritage goes back to um, the Ukraine, Poland, and Scotland. My father's father was Scottish. My, um, my nana on my mother's side, um, her mother came over from Poland, and then my grandfather's Ukrainian. 
So um, it's quite a mixed um, heritage, but we also, well, I didn't, but they also suffered racism in Canada when they got there, and languages that were once spoken, Russia or Polish and Ukrainian, they, my nana never taught my mother or her siblings. And their name, which was Jedebinevich, um, was changed to Smith because that was easier for everybody. Wow. Do you part with some of your cultural, rich, rich cultural heritage to your young child? Or how old is your child now? I have two girls. They're seven and nine. And I spoke a lot of French with them until it just started to get a bit too difficult with school and everything else. Um, I think the cultural heritage has, for me, has been transferred down through food. My mother is a wonderful cook, and so it's all about the pierogies and the uh, the kishka and, and the different foods. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not a very good cook, and I'm not really <laughs> interested in the kitchen. Um, so I guess I'm not doing a very good job in that way. We shall pause for a break, Kiki, and hear one of the musical instruments, that piece that you brought in. You want to explain what it is? Um, I think this first place is Nabucco. Nabucco. Uh, yes. What is that? Mean? Nabucco is an, it's an opera. It's one of my favorite, favorite pieces. It's written by Verdi in the, I think it was the 1830s. And this is about, um, this particular piece is called the uh, the chorus of the Hebrew slaves, and it's from the operatic story of Nabucco. Nabucco, and this was the king of Babylon who invaded the Jewish homeland, and he exiled them. Um, so what we hear in this song, the chorus of the Hebrew, Hebrew slaves, the Jews are lamenting their loss of their freedom and 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 their homeland and their yearning for what they once had. And to me, it's incredibly powerful. And when I was in Paris those first few years, when I was really lonely and sad, I would put this on and I would sing it and dance it around the apartment with the bateau mouche going down below me. And, and looking at the Place Saint-Michel, and I would feel better. Oh, good. We shall have a listen to it now.
Welcome back to Women's Profile. You're listening to Women's Profile on your 90, on uh, the radio for EBFM 98.1. I'm talking to Kirsten uh, Fogg, who's the pop-up story catcher, and uh, she brought in that lovely piece of music. Thank you very much for that, Kiki. You're welcome. And uh, just briefly, we're talking about uh, what heritage you are. So you, when did you migrate to Brisbane? Oh, let me see. Um, it was from the UK. I was living in London at the time. So, um, and my current, my my current husband. We were just uh, we were dating, but he was living in Perth, and he's uh, English. We decided it was a bit too far for a long distance relationship between Perth and London, and I was ready for a change, and he was ready for a change. So we agreed to meet in Sydney. Um, because after living in London, Paris, and Toronto, I couldn't imagine going to Perth. Um, and so we met in we met in Sydney, and we stayed there for two and a half years. And then he had a job offer and came up to Brisbane. Now, from a practical point of view, it was very simple for me to migrate to Australia. I came as under one of the um, spousal visas, or not as we weren't married, so a common law visa. Um, but from an emotional and psychological point of view, I found Australia the most difficult place to adapt to. And Where was that? Well, I was writing and working in Sydney, so I did make friends in Sydney. The friends we tended to make, though, were, um, were people, Australians who'd lived overseas for a long time and had just come back, or um, other foreigners like us. Um, and then when we came up to, to Brisbane... and. People sometimes say to me, well, if you'd lived in Melbourne, it would have been different, or somewhere else would have been different. I don't know. All I know is that I found it very difficult to find connections here. And from my point of view, I found that average Australians are very, very, very reserved. Um, so it's really hard to break through that barrier. And I lived in England. I'm... I find that the average Australian is more reserved than English people, than the French people, than Canadians. And I, I just found it very, very difficult. Um, but it is interesting because once I started openly writing about research and uh, belonging, sorry, and researching it and getting out there and talking with people, that's when I started to make new friends. And that's when I started to have these deep, deep conversations with people. And I realized that for me, to have a sense of belonging, I needed to have these deep connections, even if they were with someone I might never see again. So why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? That's a very interesting question. Um, at first... I thought I was interested in this project on belonging. Now, I write about lots of different things, but this, this belonging and not belonging has fascinated me for several years and actually for most of my lifetime. And at first I thought it was because I've lived in four countries, I speak two languages. And then I thought, well, I never really feel like I belong anywhere. And I'm an artist, and most artists are on the fringe. And I'm quite happy being on the fringe. I feel it gives me a freedom and possibilities to be exactly who I am without any sort of constraints, you know, within the law, of course. Um, and all that is very true. And then last year, I had this realization. And I realized that 
my my thoughts about belonging and my my striving to understand belonging all came back to my little brother and um i was surprised i'd never thought about it before he committed suicide just before his 70th birthday and i was almost 21 um and for him to have done that he must have felt terribly alone terribly isolated completely by himself and so that's why I think that's that deep reason for me why I'm searching this out and why I'm doing it from the point of view of including other people who might feel alone and isolated like my brother did so how can um, people listening to this personal story find you or how do you find them to catch their stories Mm. Well, I've been all over Brisbane recently. Um, this afternoon I'll be at Bean Cafe in the city, which is a lovely little cafe, and they're open later on Friday nights. And then I'm hoping to be there regularly, say once every couple of weeks. Um, I'll be at the State Library of Queensland for their big day of belonging, June 18th. But then I, because I'm interested in meeting people and talking with people, I'm also happy for them to email me and say, I'd like to tell you my story. And they can email me on my website. I think it's kiki at writeroutofresidence.com. So that's kiki out of... Um, no, kiki at... Kiki at... Writeroutofresidence.com. So you want to repeat that again? www.... Oh no no, that's a website. Sorry, so that's okay. You, you can go to you have you can go to the contact form on the website, which is easy too. So www.writeroutofresidence.com. So why do you call it writer out of residence? Oh, that's another really good question. I love that question. Um, I had, as a writer, and every writer and artist will be able to re- relate to this. I've had several rejections. And I applied to a few residencies, writer-in-residencies, and I was rejected, and I send essays off all the time, and I get rejected. And I developed a philosophy that instead of taking it as a rejection, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make it something positive. So I thought, okay, if I can't be writer-in-residence with you, I will be my own writer-out-of-residence. And this this theory of taking something negative and turning it into something positive has worked for me in every step of the way. Um, not belonging in Brisbane and not belonging in, in Australia. Had I not, had I, had I belonged, I might not have written about belonging and I might not be here today talking to you. And I certainly wouldn't have had the privilege of speaking to all the wonderful people that um, have shared their stories with me. So do you give them uh, extract of whatever you do? back to the people you talk to? I certainly do if they want it. Sometimes it goes up on my Facebook feed um, if, if, and most people give me contact details and some people would say they don't care where it goes um, but I'll give them an extract or a link to it, yeah. So have you written any book? No, I haven't actually written books although I've written hundreds of journalistic articles and I've written several creative non-fiction pieces that have been published in um, literary journals in Canada and the US but I'm hoping, um, well, I'm aiming towards a book with all my interviews on belonging That should be lovely to read When are you hoping to uh, put that out or publish that? 
Um, that's a big question. <laughs> I've got, currently I've got somewhere around 80 to 100 interviews. They're not all up on my website. Um, but I would like to have several hundred interviews, at least 300, before I feel I can sit down and start thinking about themes and how I'll pull it together. So what's your favourite book then, while talking on books? Ooh, my favourite books. I love You've books. even brought three books into the studio? I brought three books in. Um... I brought in my all-time top favourite book, which I stole from my father, <laughs> and I took it to Paris with me, and he knows I stole it, and it's called Archie and Mehitable, and it's written by Don Marquis. It's a book from the 1930s, and it's all in lowercase, and it's a very philosophical book. Archie is a cockroach, and Mehitable is a cat, and she thinks she is Cleopatra reincarnated. Um, and it's all about life and the philosophy of life. And Archie, this cockroach, types out these beautiful poems every night about the philosophy of life when a typewriter is left unattended in an office in New York. So what's your second book you got? I brought a couple of other ones. One of my other ones that I just love is Marguerite de Rasse and it's L'Amant. Um, you got our technician laughing here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in in uh, Marguerite de Rasse, and in uh, English, it's The Lover, which just doesn't translate well for me. And it's, it's a story about uh, a love affair between a very young girl and an older man who is betrothed to someone else. And the writing and the senses that this book brings up and evokes is just amazing and the metaphors and the the lyricism of her writing it just takes me to that place so i feel that i am with them oh, you want me to talk about this one as well you brought this, three books in so i did, might as I did well. bring three books in um, <laughs> and this other one is ben okri and ben okri's another favorite of mine this is a way of being so he talks about writing he talks about life and he talks about being a human being um and ben okri is another one of the people that another writer that i really really love he was actually homeless in london for a time being and lived on the streets and I think slept in alcoves and in banks and churches and stuff and um, he said I believe I'm quoting, quoting this correctly that listening is the closest we come to suffering and I believe he meant listening with true empathy and since me as the pop-up story catcher I'm the listener, I'm listening to your stories and people's stories, I, I would have to, I would, I would agree in some way and say that, yes, listening is the closest we come to suffering because I take on everyone's story. But also, uh, listening, we can't suffer unless we're inspired. And so there's a, always that opposite side, that in listening to these people's stories... I suffer with them when they have gone through these traumas and my heart goes out to them but I've also been inspired but how, how do you do to protect yourself because when you keep hearing a lot of stories like this sometimes your mood must be very down you must be depressed because you see humanity in a weird, mm. weird picture okay. you would think that it, it is incredible because I have listened to these stories that are quite horrible But the people telling me these stories are very resilient. They're incredibly strong inside. And they have 
I, I guess they've chosen to talk to me because they've come to a point in their life where they feel they can. They they have incredible generosity of spirit. Um, so I was at St. Vincent's Hospital talking with these these young women who are going through incredible chronic pain, and they will have chronic pain for the rest of their lives. And they are some of the most enlightened, generous, loving, kind women that, that I've met. And so they... These people that talk with me, they have grown from their stories. And, and, and I guess that is where the inspiration comes from. Thank you very much for sharing your personal stories and your inspirations with us. And before we leave you, um, you, are, you have shared um, the piece of music and the books you brought in. And one of the pieces we're going to listen to you and explain what that is. Oh, this next piece is quite light-hearted. Um, it's by a Québécois um, artist, um, musician, and her name is Chloé Saint-Marie. She's, um, she's a musician, and she's based this, uh, this song on uh, a French... Well, it's actually a poem from a francophone, he's, but he's also an Ontario um, writer. It's called Brulo. It's, um, she's talking about the, the small biting flies that they have this summer in Quebec, like little midges. But the metaphors are gorgeous, and the metaphors are all about the intimacy of love. Thank you very much for being our guest today, Kiki. Thank you, Maureen.
ton sexe dans mon sein. 